Welcome to the Science and Sass Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things science, fitness, and motherhood. We're your hosts, Dr. Rachel Reed and Dr. Brittany Masteller. We both have PhDs in kinesiology and a passion for sharing science with the world. We created this podcast to have unfiltered conversations about complex topics that we think deserve attention. While listening, you can expect to learn everything from implementing the scientific method to raising little humans and how to keep your head above water through it all. This podcast will cover three major topics, exercise science, motherhood, and the fitness industry. We firmly believe that science is for everyone, that coffee should only be drunk out of a mug, and that lipstick makes everything better. So go ahead and hit the subscribe button and make sure to join us every Monday for our conversation with your favorite PhD buzz. introduce ourselves a little bit more and talk about how we met uh, some information just about us as professionals and as people and our goals for the podcast in a little bit more detail than we have yet. So I think first we're going to talk about how we met, which was yeah. on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel and I have never actually met in person yet. Um, hopefully someday post-COVID we can do that, but we are online friends. Yes. <laughs> so we actually met through um, mutual friends that we have. So I went to the same undergrad as Alyssa Lenick, or as you guys might know her as Littlest Fitness, who is now getting her PhD at UGA. Yep. And Rachel, you did your PhD and your postdoc there. Yeah, and my master's too, actually. So okay, I okay. have actually met Littlest Fitness in person several times because of our connections in Athens and at the University of Georgia. So little did I know that, you know, through her, we would essentially meet online, Brit, and become like instant besties. Yeah. So whenever I met Rach and like heard her experience during her PhD and postdoc and what she does now in her industry work, I was like, this girl is like my long lost best friend. I was like, we have so much in common. I feel like if we would have met during our PhDs, we would have been best friends for real because we are just so similar. Yeah. So it's really cool that we had um, these mutual friends. Um, yeah. And then um, Kate did your postdoc with in the same lab that Kate Carmichael is getting her PhD in too. Yeah, which is so funny because we had never met in person in the actual lab, but I actually met Kate one night um, before COVID, <laughs> before we relocated to Florida. Actually, my husband and I um, were at a brewery in Athens for an event for his work, and we saw uh, Kate and Liz in real life person, like in real life. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I know them. I have to go say hello. So I have met Kate in real life too. So it's just uh, Britt, I hope once COVID is over, we can do some kind of science squad meetup. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so funny that we have to preface everything with like pre-COVID because obviously none of us are 
doing as many fun things right now. But no. anyways, we are, we have met through this awesome online community that we have on Instagram, um, which is obviously one of the really great parts of social media is connecting you to people that you otherwise wouldn't have met. And I just think about like how many times I was at an ACSM conference and you were probably there at the same one. And we just oh my never, gosh. like our paths just never crossed before. So it's really cool. So anyways, we are now friends and so excited to bring you this new podcast venture um, because we have so much in common and because so many of the conversations that we have had with each other, um, we think that having some of those on a platform like a podcast would be really great. So we're super excited to be doing this uh, together and for you guys to follow along. So we're going to start now just I'm just going to talk a little bit about myself and kind of how I ended up where I am now. And then Rachel's going to do the same. But um, basically, I got into health science um, as, a, as an undergrad. So I was majored in health science, and I thought I wanted to be a physician assistant. Um, I went to school to be a, a PA, and then I took an exercise physiology class my sophomore year, and just like became totally obsessed. I had played some sports but I didn't really love them growing up I was a competitive dancer and I I participated in cheerleading I ran track for a couple of years but that was really it I was not I always talked about myself that I wasn't athletic um, which is not necessarily true I just didn't enjoy traditional sports yeah so, makes sense. um when I took exercise physiology and you know, started working out essentially when I went to college, I started going to the rec center like we all do, you know, and I just was kind of like doing whatever I wanted. I had no rhyme or reason. Um, I got a lot of <laughs> workouts out of Oxygen Magazine, which was like my Bible. Um, back in <laughs> 2008, 2009, I was obsessed. Um, but when I took that exercise physiology class, I really enjoyed it. And that led me to doing research in the exercise physiology lab where I was at Lock Haven. And Lock Haven is a very small state school. It is not typical for undergrads to do research. In fact, there are not many research labs at all. Um, it's a very teaching focused university. So I really had to seek out this opportunity. So I did my honors thesis in the exercise physiology lab and learned all about research. I did a very basic project that looked at the effect of a meal consumption on different bioelectrical impedance analyzers because that was what the mm, research yep. was going on. Yeah. So it was very like straightforward. <laughs> um, but I learned all about research and writing and, you know, data management because I had a ton of data actually because those analyzers spit out like 5 million things. Um, True. And, and most people don't think about that because they just think about like the percent that Right. That's what they're focused on. They yeah. don't think about everything else. Yeah. It spits out all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was obviously a really important lesson because re data management is probably one of the most important parts of a research project. <laughs> totally. So, um, I did that entire project. It wasn't like a whole lab. It was me and my mentor. Shout out to Dr. Dixon. Um, <laughs> and during that time, I decided that it was like the summer between junior and senior year, like when you take your GRE and everything and you're applying mm -hmm. to graduate school. And I made the decision to not apply to PA school. So that's a big decision after yeah. taking all of the prereq courses. Yeah. 
because those yeah, are hard. I was not an exercise science major as an undergrad. Yeah. Um, we didn't, we didn't even have an exercise science major. <laughs> you could take electives in exercise science, which was actually in a different department. We had a recreation management department. So I took classes in that department and, you know, didn't, was doing my research and then decided that um, I wanted to apply to get my master's degree in exercise science. So I did that, which took me to a few towns over. Um, and I got my master's degree at Bloomsburg University, which was kind of a general exercise science master's. We took graduate coursework in pretty much all the core topics of exercise science. So research methods, we took a lot of exercise physiology, clinical exercise physiology, um, biomechanics, nutrition, um, but, but probably 90% of my classmates from my master's went on to do some sort of clinical exercise physiology type of work. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So there was a thesis track and a non-thesis track. And I chose the thesis track because at that point I was like, I think I might want to go for my PhD. Like, I think I want to be a professor. More specifically, that's what I thought. I wanted to be a <laughs> professor so that I need my PhD to do that. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, while I was getting my master's, I did a internship at a fitness facility for children because I was interested in research that involved children. And at the time, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, like which area of my PhD I was going to, like what I wanted to focus in. Um, so as a grad student, and we'll do an entire episode on this, I'm sure about finding PhD programs and like what to do, but you basically, you have to reach out to, to mentors that are, that you'd be interested in working with to see if there are positions available for PhD students and whatnot. So there were a few that I had in mind and they either worked with pregnant people with children or with both. And eventually I interviewed and whatever and narrowed it down and ended up in the physical activity and health lab at UMass Amherst. And um, I primarily work with children and adolescents during my PhD. Um, So in that department, the way that it runs is there are different labs within the big field of kinesiology. So I was in the physical activity and health lab. We did a lot of physical activity measurement work um, I did I did intervention work specifically, um, and my coursework was really heavily tied with the public health department there. So in our public health department at UMass, we have epidemiology, we have all sorts of different tracks within public health. So I took a lot of my coursework there, actually, which was one thing that Breach and I had in common. Yeah, um, public health. We talked about kind of our interests and stuff and our training, Um and while I was my PhD, I started competing in bodybuilding and then eventually strongman. So it was, was really cool opportunity to kind of tie in everything that I had learned and continue to learn to my own training. And during this whole time, I was also teaching group fitness since I was at Lockhaven. So for now, like 12 years, I've been teaching group fitness um, and I was able to kind of just merge all my worlds together, which is kind of how I ended up where I am now, I stayed at UMass and did a postdoc after I finished my PhD. Um, And when I was coming out, there was not really, I still wasn't really completely sure what I wanted to do. I had thought I wanted to be a professor, but I was less and less interested in traditional tenure track positions. And to be honest, there weren't very many available. Mm -hmm. So I ended up taking a lecture position at Smith College, which is a private 
institution in the area where I already was for my PhD program. Um, so now I'm doing that. Um, and during my first semester there, after my first semester there was when I had my son. So I gave birth to Benji at the end of my first semester teaching at Smith. Um, <laughs> what a whirlwind. Went, yeah, it's been a whirlwind. <laughs> this was, that was a year ago. That was December of 2019. So okay. this is all pretty recent. Um, mm -hmm. And so I still am a fitness coach and I run Doc Brett Fit which is probably how many of you know me if you do uh, from my Instagram presence and the programs that I run there. So that's kind of a, a quick and dirty of where I came from and how it got me to where yeah. I am now. Um, and we'll definitely have an episode going into more details about this in the future coming up, but um, I'll give Rach a chance to kind of share some more about her too. Yeah. And I love hearing that, Britt, because obviously you and I know that we have a lot in common, but like rehearing your story again, I'm like reminded of all of those commonalities and the links in the chain of, we had such parallel paths, yeah. um, but we would have never met if it weren't for Instagram, which I think is so crazy. And I feel like that was so many of the other um, women and men in our science squad kind of yeah. little group, which it's, it's such a cool silver lining of the weirdest year ever. It is. It really is. And PhD can be such a weird and hard and lonely time for yes. like, I talk about this stuff now as if it was like just a blip, but when you're in it, it really feels just so isolating and just like so, so hard. So having people now that like get it, even if some of the stuff has passed, I feel like it's like processing for me in a way. Cause it's like, okay, other people actually did feel this way. I just didn't know any of them at the time. <laughs> that is such a good point. And I feel like the holiday season always reminds me of that. I don't know about you, but for me during my PhD program, I feel like there were just a lot of times where I was faced with the choice to like do something with friends and family or finish something for school. And you always had to kind of make the choice to prioritize school because you only have a couple years to do it and you're all in and you're committed and you enjoy what you're doing usually, but it's still that like really hard choice of having to give up a lot of things that it seemed like other people got to do to yeah. prioritize like your education and finishing up and getting this really awesome terminal degree. But I agree. It's so cool to know that there are other people who are like normal people who went through this crazy thing too. So anyways, I'm just so glad that we know each other. And that we're I know. <laughs> yeah. So um, a little bit about me. I am the oldest of four kids, um, a big Italian family. So, um, you know, we grew up as a really close knit family, very sports oriented too. I think there was always a big focus on education and doing your best at every single thing that you do. And the same was true for sports. I had a similar experience to you, Britt, where I wasn't really uh, great at, nor did I really enjoy like traditional sports, um, like soccer, or basketball, softball, things like that. And so I ended up picking competitive cheerleading as my sport, um, which is interesting because it kind of combines dance, uh, probably what you think of as cheerleading, and then also gymnastics. So I did that like all through middle school and high school. And then I ended up cheering in college as well at UNC Chapel Hill, which is so fun. Um, and I feel like it was my time at UNC Chapel Hill that I really got introduced to things like strength and conditioning and athletic training and physical therapy as related to exercise and performance 
because as part of the cheerleading team, we got to use those same resources that the other sports and athletic teams got to use, right? So we had a strength and conditioning coach who did specialized programming for us. And that was really the first time where I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Like the stuff that we're doing, the kinds of lifts that we're doing, it's directly related to the outcomes that we need to have. And so I started to be really, really interested in that my freshman year. And I think like most people, I went into undergrad being like, I want to do something science-y, but I don't really know. So I'm going to do undecided and I'm going to kind of try it out and see what I want to do. And then I ended up realizing that exercise science was a, a degree program that you could do. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So to get into the exercise science major at that time, you had to do a couple of prereqs in biology, chemistry, physics. Oh my gosh. And that organic chem just it rocked me. If, <laughs> if you're listening and you took organic chem, if you, have you know, organic chem, please stand up. <laughs> yeah, like literally rocked me. Like I have never. I think that was the first time where I realized how hard it was to actually study and teach yourself something. Because in high school, I was just blessed to have like such a like I, I did work hard, but I never had to like ask the teachers for extra help and extra resources. And so I had to learn how to do that actually, and which I think is kind of the purpose of those. They call them like weeder classes because they're like weeding out the people who don't want to put that extra right. like step in. So anyways, I also was really interested in psychology um, and ended up double majoring in that. And I was interested in psychology because of all of these links between exercise and mental health. And so I remember learning that in my like intro to kinesiology class and being like, I need to know more. Like I have to know more. So ended up double majoring and that kind of little did I know would become a theme throughout the rest of my schooling and even into like what I do now, which is so cool. So after that, I ended up heading to UGA for my master's degree and the lab I was working in was the physical activity measurement lab. So like Britt, we definitely have that in common. Yeah. <laughs> and this was like, this was back in... 2009, 2010, right when like wearable devices were hitting the mainstream market. So mm -hmm. prior to that, they were really mostly used in research settings in exercise science. And so it was just now, like, I remember that um, the jawbone like yeah. measurement tool came out, um, kind of like the first version of all the things that we have today yeah. were starting to like, hit the market. So there was a lot of work in the field going on about uh, reliability, validity uh, for different types of physical activity. And one of the other big topics we did a lot of work on was the concept of meat or non-exercise activity thermogenesis and how that works as part of your energy expenditure. And so um, uh, also a lot of big data sets. So I learned a ton about research methods and data management, which is, as Britt mentioned, something I never really knew was that important with with research, but it totally is. Um, and then after my master's, I was at this point where I was like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, I'd been teaching group fitness for a long time. I loved certain aspects of research, but I was like, I don't know if I want to do a PhD. Like, I'm not sure if the professor track or position is like meant for me. Like it was like 90% there, but there was like always a little bit of a question in my mind. And so actually had the opportunity to do a clinical research coordinator position still at the University of Georgia for like a year and a half. Um, so like an academic year and then an additional summer. And it was so awesome because I got to learn a little bit more about 
kind of like the business side of research. So as a clinical research coordinator, I was working with cross-departmental teams. So people from the nutrition department, exercise psychologists, um, people who had expertise in cognitive behavioral therapy, just sort of like all public health as well, all of these related areas and, and getting to like work with them, understand their scope of practice compared to like an exercise physiologist. And then also learning about, um, again, data management, but also like funding for research and how hard that was to secure and how that works to report back your findings kind of as they come out to the funding agency. So really like tying a lot of like, I don't know, like the business, like the logistics side of research mm -hmm. together for me. So that's what led me to want to like go all the way and do a PhD. And the lab I was in for my PhD was the body composition and metabolism lab. We primarily worked with older adults and specifically women. So higher protein diets plus resistance training intervention work. So long-term intervention, six-month trials. Um, so cool because I literally got to watch women who had never before exercised ever. Because you think about like, you think about like a 70-year-old woman Probably when they grew up, it wasn't the norm. It couldn't maybe wasn't the social norm for them to participate in sports or maybe even in PE class. So talking yeah. about like what kind of shoes should you wear? How do you find a sports bra? Like what are you supposed to wear even to exercise? Because if they had just never participated in it, they were, you know, that was a barrier. Yeah. So you got to see these people who had like literally no idea even like what to wear or how to find sneakers that were appropriate to exercise in and watch them like totally transform not only you know physically and physiologically but also like mentally and to find the social support and make friends and so it was really rewarding I mean gosh the hours spent in the lab were long but I learned so much about how exercise can actually be so effective for people um and you know, we did a lot of work with older adults, but I had always thought, gosh, if we could just intervene earlier and they could keep those health behaviors, like how amazing would that be? And so I ended up choosing to do my dissertation on middle school aged girls. Um, that's a time, Britt, as you know, where like so many girls and, and adolescents, so early teenagers drop off from being active. They drop off from participation in sport. Um, and I'm curious to see how COVID will make that probably even yeah. worse. It's a sharp decline too. Yeah, such a sharp decline. So I was like, that's an age group that needs a lot of intervention. And so I wanted to focus on that, which was quite a departure from what I had done during yeah. my PhD, but looked at the same kind of outcomes. And I actually did a social media intervention. So again, this is like back before Instagram was even really a thing. Mm -hmm. um, it was when you had to have like a, college email to be on Facebook yeah like remember that how weird so um so anyways I I've always been really interested in how social media and how um giving people more access to health information can help improve different outcomes for them so I think you know the PhD was so awesome for me and throughout all of this time I had actually been teaching group fitness I always loved that and so when faced with the opportunity to either continue on and, and try to find a professor job or do something in the industry. I was kind of at this weird crossroads again, but ended up doing a postdoc because I was like, well, I still really love this. So yeah. I, I took a postdoc position in exercise psychology, which is great. Um, and that's, again, the lab that 
Coach Carmichael is earning her PhD in. So, so funny because um, we can even relate to like the office that we were sitting in, like literally the same office so in the same like really old desk from like probably the 60s. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Um, so I loved the postdoc year. And at that same time, I started doing some consulting in the fitness industry. So it was a way to like kind of dip my toes in and see what it would be like to apply all of these concepts that I'd spent like a decade trying to understand and get a good handle on to the industry. And um, I ended up like after a couple of years going full time into the fitness industry, which is what I do now. And it's such a cool opportunity for me to try to like bridge that gap. And again, I think we could talk about our stories for so long. But one of the things that I think Britt and I both want to tell people who are going through graduate school or who are considering it is that there is no like one path that you have to do. I, I definitely felt like there was like I had to stay on this like straight and narrow path um, and do undergrad, master's, PhD, postdoc, become a, pro- a tenure track professor. There's nothing wrong with that. And oh my gosh, it's such an admirable career path. But it, it also is a really hard one. And it, it might not be the right choice for every single person. And so if you learn nothing else from hearing our, our quick summaries of our stories, it's that there are like other ways you can go. And that I think the fitness industry, the Instagram fitness world, all of those places also need the expertise that you, you gain through years and years of like hard work and learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, neither of us followed any sort of, tra- I mean, in some ways it was traditional because we went, yeah. you know, but you took a break for a couple of years. I did. Yeah. You know, straight through. I did. I did bachelor's, master's, PhD, postdoc. But then ultimately decided that even with that, I still didn't want to pursue a tenure track. <laughs> so yeah. I knew, I did not know anyone. I did not know anyone who did that. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew some people who went full-time into industry, but not at first. It was like they tried academia first and then went into industry, but it was not anyone I knew personally. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now I feel like, a lot of people don't choose not to go into academia for a whole host of reasons. But I, at the time, like we were talking about crossroads, like I didn't know anyone. And my advisor was supportive of me not doing something traditional, but he chose a traditional career. So that was all he knew. Like he didn't know the non-traditional pathway. So not that he was against it, but he just wasn't much help in that aspect because he was super familiar. So, well, I, I mean, I, so I, I ended up kind of just creating my own thing for now anyways, <laughs> just yeah. creating my own job. So I do teach, but I also do my online business. So and that, that was not something that was given to me as an option, obviously, like no one was right. like, you start your own business. <laughs> <laughs> but um, look at when, look how successful you already are. Like, it's so cool because you did, you learned all of those skills through school yeah. and trial yeah. and error and like figuring it out. And now you're able to offer yeah. all of that information. Yeah. Yeah. They're very translatable skills. So totally a student or grad student listening to this or someone who maybe wants to pursue a PhD. Just remember that Britain Rage <laughs> said, okay, if you don't know exactly where you're going, but don't tell your yes. advisor that we told you that. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that leads us into kind of the last little part of this episode, which is why we wanted to start this podcast in the first place. And I think 
you'll see a lot of themes come up for this, but the biggest thing that, you know, for us is visibility. So even though this is an audio podcast, we do a lot of visual uh, work as well online. And just that notion that scientists or people who have PhDs are normal people. They can Mm -hmm. look like you, they can look like anyone. It's not a certain look. And um, we can have normal conversations about science and motherhood and things that are happening in our life just because we are accomplished academically and have these terminal degrees does not mean that, you know, we aren't real people. So I think a lot of times you think about scientists or people with PhDs and you kind of put this, put them in this, you know, ivory tower, pun intended, where it's like, they're not like us. And we don't feel that way. (laughs) (laughs) No, we definitely don't. That reminds me of like magazines when I was in high school being like stars, they're just like us. It's like PhDs. They're just like us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause I I don't know. I feel like, you know, we want, we want that to be a theme of this podcast that we're that to humanize us basically and humanize people who are like us as well. Um, but we both love podcasts and we love to teach. So we thought that starting a podcast would be a great way to do that, to teach in a way that we don't have to have, you know, perfectly curated Instagram captions and yep. 15 seconds on an Instagram story to try to explain a super complex topic that we could talk about for an hour. Exactly. Um, so we're super I, excited to expand on some of these conversations. Yeah. And I think the conversational nature of a podcast lends itself really well to like people realizing that we are quote normal people mm-hmm. because we can break things down and we don't have to use crazy fancy scientific language. Like we're writing a peer reviewed article. We can talk about things just like friend to friend, peer to peer or person to person. And so I think that's also something we hope you can take away when you do tune in and listen to our future episodes. Yeah. Um, we're also both moms, young moms, yeah. first time moms. Um, and <laughs> as you heard from our stories, we kind of uh, started our careers and started a family around the same time, which if you're a mom, it's crazy. There, for your mom out there, you know how crazy that transition into parenthood can be. And adding a career change or the beginning of a career on top of that is kind of just an additional hard stressor. Yeah. Stressor. And it's, I think that not that we haven't figured out by any means, but we can certainly have conversations about things that helped and didn't help us and hopes that, you know, other people who might be experiencing that don't have to feel alone because it can feel really isolating like I don't know for me it wasn't like I had a traditional maternity leave and then just went back to work I was very much working from Mm -hmm. very close from the time that I had Benji and you know it was just really crazy so we both can speak to that experience um quite a bit so we'll definitely have you know some chats about that on the podcast as well um, and we, like we said, we both chose kind of non-traditional PhD paths, which I think a lot of young career people or, you know, PhD students that are currently in their PhDs 
would appreciate hearing more about that and how to navigate it, especially if you're in a situation where you might not be able to get much help from your PhD advisor or you're feeling really isolated in your lab or whatever. We know that not all lab situations are the most healthy. So um, we're certainly happy to talk about some of those conversations and topics as well. Absolutely. I think that's a huge takeaway we want people to have from this podcast is just exploring like the good, the bad, and the ugly about grad school. (laughs) And there's so much, so much good. And again, all those skills are like priceless that you learn throughout it. But having, knowing there's a window at the end of the tunnel and knowing that there are people who have experienced it is so helpful. Totally, totally. Even if it's just like solidarity, like I've been there. I know how much it sucks. <laughs> we, yep. we plan on we plan on recording a lot of those episodes for you, specifically related to PhD. So, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And then we also want you guys to get to know us and be able to express our full personalities while hopefully also providing some value to you as you tune in. I think Britt and I have a lot in common, and and we also have you know things that are different about each of us. We have little. Um, niche differences within our expertise. Um, We have a lot in common about parenting, but we'll probably discover we have some differing opinions too, which is all really important dialogue to have. So I'm really looking forward to sharing all that with you guys as well. Yeah, I think it'll be super valuable conversations and hopefully you'll learn something from every episode that you can take and either think about or apply to your own life or, you know, any of that would be a win in my book. So I hope that we can, you know, normalize us. And also if there are other professionals out there who feel like once you reach a certain point, you don't experience things, we want to normalize that. So normalizing that even if you're a higher achieving person or woman, that you can still struggle with things like imposter syndrome or there are Mm -hmm. going to be times you're not motivated or just those normal human feelings that I feel like are often detached or I don't know what the word I'm looking for is people tend to not take me seriously if I express that because I am accomplished and that can be really 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 hard for your mental Mm -hmm. health is when someone's people are constantly telling you or like dismissing your feelings about things so we definitely want to to nod to that in that no matter how successful you are you can still struggle with certain things. You're still going to have bad days. You're still going to have things that make you, you know, really sit back and think um, and test you. So we want to normalize that too. Absolutely. And I think too, again, we just want to reiterate that scientists don't have to look a certain way. They don't have to sound a certain way. They don't have to dress a certain way. Um, in fact, as we're recording our first episode, I'm in pajamas, Britt just got done with a workout at the gym. And so we can see each other while we're recording. We definitely don't look like maybe what you think of when you hear the word scientist, but, um, we want to share all of the science that we know with you in a really accessible way. Yeah. So thanks for listening. We're so excited to bring you uh, the rest of the episodes of this podcast in the weeks and months to come. So We will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks, guys.